0: Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle podcast brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you'll be inspired by the past, equipped for the present and prepared for the future as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. If you've been inspired by the guests that we've had on the podcast, please like, subscribe, comment, hit notification bells, whatever you can do on the platforms that you're listening on so that more people have the opportunity of hearing these and engaging in our community. Hi, everyone. This is Andrew and Daphne. Our guest today is Dwayne Roberts. Dwayne, for people that don't know who you are, could you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do?
1: Yeah, it's actually a pleasure to be with you guys. I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, Born and raised in Canada, 19 years old. Went to Europe for basically 10 years. A year and a half, two years in, got married to my best friend, Jennifer. And spent 10 years in YWAM basically. Uh, Six years in Amsterdam, and then four years in Budapest, Hungary. Kind of pioneered the YWAM base there, helped pioneer it. And then, uh, long story short, we ended up in the heart of America in Kansas City in 1998. And then that was the year that Mike Bickle started to preach and just uh, proclaim a call to prayer. It was just such a radical thought 24-7. Never even thought about it. So uh, Jennifer and I, had a, we had a one and a half year old at the time. Jumped in and and uh, spent fifteen years at at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. There, uh, loved those years, transformative into changing me, uh, introduced me to a love for Jesus, a love for for the Word of God, and to live from a place of communion with Him and changed my life. Loved it, and then. Uh, then we, t- 2013, it was, we went to Brazil for six years and basically planted in a city called Florianopolis, southern Brazil, a prayer room and a church and then training. And so very similar to what was going on at IHOP. And then, uh, as a little bit of a surprise, won't go to all the details, 2019, we moved back to the States and pastored two years in Denver. And now we've been back in KC area for about a year and a half. So that's that's my life for the short short <laughs> short run
0: and then for people that listen to this that want to find out more about what you're doing now where could they do that
1: i oh, appreciate that uh are gonna go and jennifer.com but there's not much there uh follow instagram kind of we're a little bit under the radar to be honest with you right now and so i'm not doing a ton publicly we have a little podcast Dwayne and jennifer um on youtube um That'd be the best way, probably,
0: yeah. Okay, and I'll put those links in the description box, so for people listening, they're there ready for you to go and check out.
2: Perfect. So so you've mentioned about Houses of Prayer, you mentioned about IHOP, which we love going there dearly, and going to Brazil. There are probably people listening and thinking, prayer, 24-7? Hours of prayer, mm. it stretches mm. me to get up in the morning and pray and remember when I go to bed. So totally you know, can you give us a bit at the heart of why you would choose to focus or or Jesus would choose to focus you on what is at the heart of 24/7 prayer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um it was like like maybe some are listening, it was a radical thought to me, never heard of it. And so in 1999, uh, when we were here, Mike Bickle, who was the founder and still um, of the International House of Prayer, starts preaching on prayer. And there were some thoughts that I had just never even really considered. And so the first one for me would be, um, the revelation of God that has come to us through the Word of God, particularly Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you see, first of all, the central um, central point of all creation is actually God. And then, or that, then what you see is 10,000 times 10,000 angels, the four, uh, 24 elders, and then the four living creatures and their focus is God. And then it happens day and night. And so there is this discovering of the eternal beauty of the uncreated God. And he is worthy to be looked upon day and night. And from worship come forth. And so King David, I believe, captured some of that. He, We know that he saw into the sanctuary. And so that revelation of of God came to him. And then from that place he said, I'm gonna do it on the earth. And so I think the real first time sustained worship was introduced was because King David was captured. Like there's something beautiful beyond creation, and it's and it's the God who created it. So that would be the roots I think of where where this idea of constant prayer came forth. It was not actually intercession, it was worship, I think. Um, And then you've got it all throughout church, I mean, throughout Israel, in the different revivals of Israel, they would go back to the temple, go back to the place of worship. And then really church history is full of unceasing, consistent, different models of two people in a room, You know, Europe, most recently, the Moravians marked, I think, a shift in the focus of the church because of what they laid in prayer. So um, that consistent prayer is a biblical concept um, where, you know, Luke is the one that gives us most of the writing. I mean, most of the teaching on prayer from Jesus' perspective in both Luke 11 and Luke 18, persistent prayer is highlighted. And then it's it's in Luke 18, day and night, will you not cry out? And the outrageous thing that I've just now really solid in my heart that I just don't get my head around, but it's an incredible honor, is that God invites human beings into prayer in that place of partnership to release his purposes. And so I think that's why we've had an explosion in prayer and the body of Christ is only going to mature in this place of worship, communion, prayer, and intercession. I'm positive it's going to mature and grow even more.
2: One of the things that heartens me in what you say, and again, I'm connecting with these people that are going, what, I just don't get this. When you listen to your heart and listen to what you're saying, I believe that people can go. Wow, that's just way beyond me. I'm just not in in that kind of super spiritual place. When yeah. I listen to you, and you said the heart of it is in David. If we go back to who David was, he was a forgotten boy on the hillside. I mean, he, he was on. even forgotten yeah. by his family. So he just wasn't in the line in the lineup. And then right. who was David? What, 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 what sins did he commit? I mean, he, he did some pretty mm-hmm. outrageous 100%. things. And like, I 100%. could go, well, I didn't do that. And I think when we get the reality of who God chooses and, and the enormity. Who he chooses. I've just done this, uh, been studying David right the way through to Revelation and and the supreme importance of this man who was the outcast yeah. on the hillside. I think when we start to identify with moments like, like that and who you're talking about, suddenly to me, anyway, it becomes, wow, this could include me.
1: 100%. Like, I, I really uh, appreciate that perspective because um the I mean it's it's mind-blowing this speaks to God's incredible capabilities is just Mysteries is that he knows the hair on on 7.8 billion he knows the number of hairs on 7.8 billion or whatever we are today so God's capacity, to track with every single human being is astounding and it must cause us to worship. And then I think the power that King David touched because of his, he's number eight in the family, not important. So insignificance must've been part of his life. And then his, his journey tells me he heard God talk about him to himself, to David. I'm positive. The emotions, desire, and God's focus on him somehow touched his life. And we know that from some of the songs he wrote. But he understood God's eyes are on me. God's eyes are on my neighbor, but they're on me. And I believe that is the power that I think will fuel any life of prayer. It doesn't matter if you are distant and sad and and bored with God, or you're on fire. Either way, when you hear, understand God's passion, love, pursuit, intimate following of the small details of our lives, the big ones, that captures you. Oh my goodness. And I think that's what Dave, that's somewhere in there is the secret of David. Hmm. Like I'm positive.
2: So, here we are talking to you today. Can you take us back on the journey? Did you come from a family that had this revelation? Were they followers of Jesus? Can you take us back on your your history a bit, as far as you want uh, to take us?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, uh, that's great. So uh, born into and raised in a pastor's home, uh, kind of a Canadian version of like the american assemblies of god so kind of more on the pentecostal side of life on the spectrum uh two years a little boy lived in africa my parents were missionaries there and so grew up in that in that environment so a lot of people will be able to track then what that would have been my environment and so left 19 to go to the mission field to be with ywam for 10 years and so in my home uh and in our church as a as a child and a teenager, just sincerity and hunger for God would probably be one of those things that got that got formed in me. Um, I didn't have a ton of biblical knowledge, I didn't have a ton of uh just that 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 laid into the foundation of my life, but just a hunger and a sincere desire to please the Lord, follow the Lord would probably be one of the kind of markings and probably in probably my, in my teenage years growing up. And so, you know, especially when you have a couple of prophetic words over your life that are kind of make sense, there's a little bit of mystery in there. So I probably, you know, I really left my home to the mission field. And the focus probably was to fulfill the prophetic words over my life. Not really to focus on in in a real uh, passionate way, discovering God. It was more, how do I fulfill the calling on my life? So the calling and then the prophetic kind of stories, how do I go after them? And so that would really probably even speak into a lot of my 20s. Um, Just really going after ministry and my calling. And, and... And I don't think in and of itself that's wrong. I don't think in and of itself that's that's off. But I had a little crisis, and in, uh, crisis is maybe strong, but just a true wrestle in my late 20s, doing a ton of missions work, going hard, ministering a lot, and then turning around and seeing a real lack of fruit that was sustainable. and. And and that so we were in Rome, uh, Budapest at the time, so you know post a little bit you know just um, the Yugoslavian conflict was was you know winding down, but then the impact of the of the conflict was really re- present. So ministering into going into some of those areas, like we went down into Sarajevo, all through the former Balkan countries, and just having me in aware of my my lack to change and help people um and so my conclusion was I'm doing parachurch ministry I need to plant churches and so that would be the impetus that kind of we why I left YWAM that would be you know uh, my wife and I that's why we moved in and um the last thing we did with YWAM was a a music festival in Southern Hungary. And it was the last thing. And then when we were done, we were going to move to the states. We didn't know what we were going to do, but we knew we were going to make a transition. It was one of those times where you're in transition, but nothing's clear. And um, I run, we run into a a prophetic gentleman. And he shakes, uh, I shake his hand and I say, Hey, I'm Dwayne. Nice to meet you, and he says, "Ah, you're Dwayne." And uh, he said, "The Lord woke me up two weeks ago in the middle of the night and told me I was going to meet a Dwayne." Wow! And he and he spoke a little bit to my gifting, and then and then he said, uh, "You're in transition, and there's about a year, a year transition, and then you're going to be planted in a freshly plowed fruit uh, field." A freshly plowed field, you're going to be planted. You're going to take deep root and have much fruit. And that, that was the cry of my heart. Like, I'm late 20s, and I just don't have fruit that remains. You know, that John 15 fruit that Jesus talks about. So that would be what brought us, long story short, won't go to the details. That's how we ended up in Kansas City. And uh, we were going to be in Kansas City for one year. And then we our plan was to kind of figure out how do we go back into the nation's church planting. And so uh, the very first course, so it was a little Bible school in Mike's church, a little ministry center. And so the first course I take, or one of the, my first classes, was this strange teaching on the Song of Solomon. You know, and my wife Jennifer, she got ch- she got saved at sixteen. Crazy hippie family gets radically saved at sixteen, and that became the book that connected her with Jesus. And you know that book is um, can be kind of viewed different ways. You know, different interpretations and how you apply it, but it's clearly an allegory. And Mike is teaching that book from. Uh, basically the bridegroom and the bride idea, so Jesus and the church, Jesus and the individual. And there was a couple truths in that teaching that just captured me. And he brought in Isaiah and uh, Isaiah 56, excuse me, Isaiah, yes, Um, I want to give you a new name speaking to Israel, and that is I delight in you. And uh, as a bridegroom rejoices over a bride, I rejoice over you, and that was a transformative thought. So, grew up in the church all my life. Yes, I knew John three sixteen, but God not only loves me, but He liked me, and that just little thought right there opened up a a long journey into understanding God's using the God's emotions towards me. And, oh, it was a personal revival that shifted my life in a very dramatic way. The delight of God, that, that it's he's a God of great mercy that's fueled by his passion for me. And that got me into the, this, the overwhelming truth of the same way God the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves me. And the same way God the Father loves Jesus, he loves me, God the Father. And that just was a, a a shift. And so that would be what launched us into, that's why we, what launched me into the IHOP years, for sure.
2: I, uh, you know? When you say, as God the Father loves Jesus, that's how he loves me. I remember somebody saying from the platform, and it was meant to shock us, you know, theologically what it is. He said, but does God love us the same way as He loved Jesus? Does He not love us more than He loved Jesus? Because He was willing to sacrifice His Son for us. So maybe, just maybe, it's more than that. Now, theologically, that's that's a whole thing. But but we forget those those dynamics of thinking of the enormity of yes. what
0: what He's done. For you, then, so you grew up. A missional family you grew up on the mission field you went out as a teen onto missions missions uh, organization uh, you knew you were going back to the US but then going into IHOP the International House of Prayer in Kansas City
2: uh, not pancakes
0: not the pancakes they, they had their own issue with that but uh, yeah. that's a whole other story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll put that one on the back burner for now and um, was that a funny transition for you? Was it like one minute yeah. you're out going places and now you're at a yeah. place which actually was bringing people in. It wasn't so much the sending people out. So can you, yeah. how was that as a transition for you?
1: Uh, that's a really great observation um, because it's a tension. It's a real tension trying to navigate that. Uh And one of the things that was very clear to me is that a lot of my 20s was just activity. But I'm not sure it was fruitful activity. And what's become more and more clear to me is that a life of fruitfulness begins from a place of communion. And that that, in Jesus is by far the best model. I went often to the Lonely Desert, to that place. Why? Because of who he was going to meet there. And then from there, I only do what the Father's doing. That's a a profound understanding how to live your life and then actually walk out even ministry, but also your career, everything. So that would be the wrestle that took me a while to get to. Activity, um, just kind of more somewhat out of human initiative. God breathes on it. It works. There's some fruit there. I'm not wanting to deny that, but there's a more powerful way, I believe, by deep communing that then that's where I do my life from. And so that was a wrestle early on, like sitting in a chair, talking to a God you can't see, and then measuring the effectiveness of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So what, what then prompted you to then head back out, head to Brazil, um, to, to plant a house of prayer there. Uh, you you were at IHOP for quite a while, right? So what, how, what was it yeah, that prompted you we to say, you know what, we, yeah. we need to be heading out?
1: Well, we were in, in IHOP for, we were in Kansas City for 15 years and then we moved to Brazil for six. So I'm going to kind of do two tracks. <clears throat> um, I'm now old man, I'm 54. So, but what one thing using, just kind of answering that one way I think that it's a journey to figure out really what you're good at. And um, and now what's become very clear to me is that I have a pioneering gifting. Uh, and and that is partly what I've always been drawn to, but never really saw it for a while. So I pioneered, I helped pioneer YWAM Budapest. I find myself helping pioneer IHOP. So I think that would be part of it as I grew in understanding there was many things in IHOP that I helped pioneer and helped grow out. So as I begin to see some of those things, um, then that going and starting in our living room in Brazil was an adventure, not something I was afraid of. Now, of course, it's, you know, there's some, oh, I don't know if it's going to work, but so that would be one way I would answer it is... Um, at 44, my family, Jennifer, and I were both 44. We moved our three kids. That's crazy at 44 to do that. Teenagers, so there's that part of us where I think we still are pioneers, and the Lord does these things with us. Um, and then another way I would answer that is, um, you know, sometimes you're like Amsterdam. Budapest and then boom the middle of America like what and then all of a sudden God he he spoke so clear we could not deny we were to go to Brazil and you're like back out in the nations again this is just like all over you know and so that was for me a little bit of a jolt um but it's become you know just I feel like there's Part of what the Lord has for me is that nation's interaction. And so I really do believe um, that would be part of it. I'm just going to tell a really quick story that will speak to just even probably more. It's something over me and I don't even know why I'm going to tell the story, but Jennifer has a dream in December 23rd, 2011, wakes up from the dream and says, I'm going to give you all the details. Your number is 444. And I'm like, who cares? Like it doesn't connect with me. I'm like, God's never spoke to me with numbers. What is that supposed to mean? A year and a half later, we're being prayed out of IHOP, and a gentleman walks up and he says, Um, <clears throat> your number is 444. I'm like, whoa, okay. And he says, It's Zechariah 4, it's Acts 4, and it's Ephesians 4. And so Zechariah 4 is Israel coming back from captivity and re-establishing the temple. Acts four is incredible, intense persecution and the power of God resting on the early on the on the new church, on the, earth, the, the early church. And then Ephesians four is about the church leadership and then everybody working together to properly represent Jesus. And so he, so that that landed on me, and and so the day that uh, a couple of days before we left, we had a, a meal with uh, Mike Bickle and some of the leadership, and and he goes that four 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 thing, it's on you, Dwayne. And so there's a grace because it's a theological number in regards to the four corners of the earth. And so I think that also has played in a little bit to there's a that grace on my life that be in the nation somewhat. Um, and so it's just these things, then you, as you get older, you can't ignore them as being part. So that's where, um, you know, I've had the incredible privilege to, I don't know, over 50 countries. So that would be part of my story. The Lord's, I think, done with me. Um, so. I, I so I'm living in the states, but I'm still have wondering, huh? What about even the nations in the future? It mm. was a long way to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, that's good.
2: good. So it's um I think often we are looking in the moment and the yesterday, where as God, the God of the future has a whole life plan, rather than yes. just this is where I am, this is where it is. I know as I look back. You know, times I could look at my life and say, I'm doing this now, I'm doing that now, I'm doing this, and yep. I mean, the end of story's not yet written. But now I see, oh, I can see how that played into it. This played into it. This played into it. So you know, we only see in part what's yep. going on, and it's that simple trust of, well, this is what it is. Of course, America is part of the nations. So, you're still in yeah. the nations, whether you're in America <laughs> or wherever, wherever you are, you know. I'm
1: uh, 100%.
2: You're part of the nations and what God's doing. So, I find it, um, yeah, I find it interesting, as we, especially when we're doing these podcasts and people are looking back to see, hitherto has the Lord led me and yep. he will continue.
0: Yeah. Amen. yeah. Beautiful. We, now you're back in the US. This is taking a jump, but, um, so what are you doing now? Cause you, I mean, people might think where well, you head back to the U S slide back into IHOP continue as you were, yeah. um, yeah. You obviously you had a couple years in, uh, you said Colorado or Denver.
1: Yeah. I was in Either Denver. Way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Denver. Yeah. Um, so what was it that, um, what, what are you doing now with the house church, but also what was it yeah. that prompted you to think actually, I want to go in this direction. This is what God's leading us to do.
1: Excellent. Um, you know, for for every for the globe, twenty twenty was just a a true bump in the road. And for me, I think twenty twenty it was a Matthew twenty-four. I think it was a little bit of a birth pang. Yes. And definitely. so one of the one of the questions that I asked was of the Lord personally, is in the midst of a birth pang what do you want to say to the body of Christ? So you're talking to the nations, the earth, but I believe also you're talking to the church. And, you know, I think for many, it was a year of deep reflection, you know, what's going on. And so it was a year of real personal deep reflection. And then I asked the question, what, what do you, what's your perspective on the church? And for me, I feel like, um, my perspective would be on the American church, just because of, I was here. Um, We really saw the underbelly, I think, of the church. And the two things I really walked away from is how maybe immature we were. And I saw many struggling to with all the voices that were talking about several topics racism politics in America you know I'm speaking mostly of America here racism politics covid mask no mask conspiracy theories all of these things and not many voices or individuals in the church I was pastoring could could navigate and I just saw how immature we were and then for me the issue of discipleship became something that I was just, and so I had asked the question, "What what is my ministry model so far reproduced?" And I had to be real honest and say, "What what have I I produced?" And that, long story short, took me down a pretty deep bunny hole. And I won't go into all the details, all the storyline, but I really began to look at church history, the early church. Um and, and what is fruitfulness definition? And so in the American context, we are so driven by numbers, and that equals our, our our degree of success. But yet you look at Jesus, the greatest communicator, the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, and 60% of the gospels, it's him talking to 12 people. And he left the earth, not with a huge campaign ministry. In his ascension, there was not very many people on the earth. But most of I mean, not many following him actively. But he focused mostly on these 12. And so I just really confronted me, provoked me. So my own identity got messed up in there. What is my definition? What are others going to say about me? Because I have somewhat of a, you know, amongst my peers, a certain reputation. And now Dwayne is, he's doing what? He's doing a church in his house? What? You know, and uh, so it was a real radical shift in my life. Paradigm shifting big time. Like, and the I'm just, here's the main thought. I've got... So we've been on this journey for about a year and a half, but Ephesians chapter four, you have the ascension of Christ and then ascending, he gives gifts. And so I see it as just Jesus gave different parts of his gifting to different people. So the apostolic, the prophetic, he gives all of these different gifts to different people. And so in many ways, we've been like trying to even, you know, you know, at one point it's like, is that even real today? You know, and so we've been trying to discover these gifts. And then as we've discovered them, we've built church around them. And I just saw that, that these gifts have now become the center of the church. It's platform-driven, gift, gift-highlighted. gift uh, That's how we have built the church in the last couple of decades, even, th- even more than that. So the next verse in verse 12 is these are given for the equipping of the saint to minister. And that was like, Oh my goodness, I am not supposed to be the center of the show. That was a, a a paradigm shifter for me. I am not to be on the platform. I'm actually to be on the side road, equipping them and, Every saint, every believer is a priest, and the function of a priest is to go and minister to God and then minister to others. So that was one of the radical things at the at at the cross. Through His body, we all have access, and we're all priests now. And so that's where, to me, in the house church setting, by vocational. Individuals walking in their spiritual gifts and pastoring, ministering, teaching, prophesying, healing, relational-based life. I love what you said earlier, Daphne. It's it's that it's a way of life. It's 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 the rhythm of life doing it this way. And so, what's in my heart is how do we build five hundred of these? And so, I'm focusing right now on quality. And then there will come a day where I think we'll go to quantity, but what is quality like? What does that look like? A believer that's rooted, theologically built right, matured right, and and uh, so that's kind of where where I'm focusing right now. Yes. Cool. So course, it's so good to my heart.
2: If you are wanting to reproduce, and and we should be re- we should be reproducing yep. Um, yep. the DNA that you establish in where you're at now will be reproduced into the five hundred. So quality mm-hmm. is is absolutely essential for healthy reproduction. Yeah. Um and it, it's okay. um and, and Jesus he gave us a command and it wasn't to go out and make churches, it was to make disciples. And it saddens me when I hear people talking about this discipleship thing, or we're discipling here, that that even the heart of what discipleship is has got has become a class or a book or a methodology, not a shared lifestyle. Because every model of discipleship in the Bible was a shared life. Um, mm whoever it was. And so, you know, we're right with you. Without You cannot do that in a megachurch model. You can do it in small groups. Um, and I will add that our twist on the thing is you know, every model of discipleship in the Bible that we are given, every single one, the discipler was discipling someone who was going to live longer than them. So I just oh, throw yeah. that thought in. It was in. generational it
0: was, discipleship. It was
2: generation. Even even Jesus, he discipled twelve people who were going to live longer than them. Everybody did, and so I think part of the fruit, you know, what our deposit is going to be what we leave in the next generation. But that's that's our theme song on it.
0: Yeah, it's been really right. interesting. Oh, go on.
2: Go on, Dwayne. No, go,
0: go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's very interesting, um, and it's exciting to see there's there's you um we've had some other people on here um a pastor in Florida from a mega church hmm. similar thing mega church model's not working, and so he's taken his mega church and decentralized it. And making the small groups the focus as opposed to the bigger gathering, um, we had uh, sold
2: all his bi- sold the, sold the, the buildings. buildings, yeah, Boom.
0: sold the building, oh. the mega church building. Uh, they now meet in this uh, forest area <laughs> in Florida, only Florida, right? That they can meet basically two weeks of the year, which are a bit cold. <laughs> but um, a church in Arkansas, a pastor there who we're going to have on soon, similar. He feels that leading of God saying this model's not working. We need to go a different way. And he's saying that basically if the church doesn't follow me in this, then I'll I'll go and do my own thing. Uh, We had another pastor of a mega church on recently. Same thing. He went away on a mission trip, saw the uh, discipleship making movements and said, my church isn't doing that. Went back, resigned. And he now is involved with discipleship making movements. So there's so many people now, even in England as well, Pastors of big churches saying, we have to do things differently. And actually, there's an episode Come we're on. about to release. And uh, he, w- before he says this, he's like, this yep. might sound like a, a heck of a thing to say. Uh, he says, but he was he was really praying about the direction the world is going in now and what's coming to England. And he says, yep. I don't believe there's one church that's ready in England for what's about to happen. And he said, Mm -hmm. and he's a pastor, he's a very well-known pastor in England. um, And his whole thing is now getting ready for what's coming. Um, And he says Mm -hmm. there's not one that he believes in the whole of England that's ready for for what's coming our way. So it's very interesting and exciting to see these people shifting the way they've been doing things. Um, And and so it's exciting again to hear your story. God is doing something. There's a lot of movement happening. People are trying to align themselves what they believe god is saying is going to happen in the future um i don't know if you have uh, have thoughts of of where you see things going um and why you think it's so important that you've made this transition to go into home groups i don't know if you can speak some to the times that we're in or what you see happening in, in in the years ahead of us
1: i mean it's shocking how quickly culture now changes. And I think it's all because of technology, the internet. Um, It's shocking. So the changes that are happening are are rapid in, in happening. And so just from a cultural perspective and the disengagement with church today and the understanding it's not working is now starting to touch people. And we're seeing it in in my context, where many are disengaging from their faith or from the church. And then there's tons that are actually still followers of Christ, but don't go to church, or they don't—they can't find the church they want. So there's a lot of discontentment in the context of cultural shifts. So there's just starting to be signs like, "Hey, things aren't working," and there's change coming. And so, from a biblical perspective. I think that it's clear things will get darker. So darkness is going to grow. Um, But then we also have the church is going to get brighter, the wheat and the tear conversation with Jesus. And so I have faith, actually, and I'm excited that actually the church is going to get hotter on fire. And we're going to, so there's a, a, a refining, I think, a chastening of the church. And a maturing of the church. So I, I, I'm not. I'm actually got hope, and I'm actually excited. Like I'm not doing this to hunker down and to hide. I think this is the way forward. And so to me, the two words that are kind of we're we're using is the is maturing and strong strengthening. And so you know Daniel eleven thirty two those those who know God, they shall be strong and do great exploits. And so there is this place of strength and maturity, I believe that's coming to the body. And in that in the midst of storms, we have clarity on Jesus, our mission, there's the power of the gospel, and then there's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I I am not I'm not negative on the large church. I actually believe in the large gatherings, but I don't think it should be essential. And I don't think it should be the the regular appetite. But in, in, you know, some house church people are like, never again. We actually do house churches. And then we also have times where we come together. But the norm is the smaller setting. I think in the small,
2: you get the intimacy of God. And in the big, you get the transcendence of God. Come on, and yep. it's the it's you. The two wings you need both wings. Two wings you yep. fly. You need the intimacy, and you need the transcendence. Yeah. So I think, yep. yeah, yeah, it, it's we see it like the small groups are the bricks of which the wall is built. You take away the yep. small groups, you you have no wall. You know, but yep. when you put them together, you you have a wall. And I think that yep. is a big paradigm shift. People, people say, well, yes, we've got house groups. Well, yes, you have groups that are in houses, but it's not the life. It isn't the church. It isn't. Right. It's so, uh, yes, yeah, it's really <sighs> encouraging mm. and exciting what, what, to speak to you.
1: What has struck me is... Um, being at IHOP, being raised, I mean, I mean, formed there in many ways, passion for Jesus would be a life message of Mike Pickle. And that captured me. So the first commandment, and then what has massively disrupted me is the second commandment is, is like the first. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh my goodness, so the same priority, passion, and pursuit that I've put into loving God, I need to put into loving people. It is absolutely second. There's a prioritizing, but it is like the first, the second, yes, like the first, I think, in its importance and in how God views things. And and it is as we touch that, as we genuinely have Jesus at the center of our churches. Gather around Him, and in that, love one another. It will be a powerful storyline in the unbeliever finding Christ, because I have real life represent, real life interaction with people who love me like Christ loves me. And there's something there about community and real life on life building of of relationship and 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 that whole forming of relationship. So. I think when I didn't fully, maybe even I'm just thinking, answer the question where it's going. I'm po- I'm positive there's there's going to be some conflicts globally coming um, that is going to destabilize most systems. So we have a little, to me, a little microcosm of Russia and and uh, Ukraine right now, and that has destabilized the whole region. And I'm wondering if there's not more coming. And that will be a a major destabilizing factor for many. And then what will come out of that um, will be probably in my, it makes you wonder if there will be a new superpower idea rising up. Um, You know, I've got totally speculation, but it's just fun ideas to talk about. But in the destabilizing, um, that is where the believer who's mature and strong will actually be a voice and people can follow as opposed. And so that's why maturity and strength is important to me. And even if it's not a global conflict, there's just so many voices that are absolutely lies. And this generation is just wholeheartedly following. But when they hear truth, it rings in their ear and i believe that we we need to be speaking truth about jesus not politics not love of country not love of anything of jesus that's the gospel it is the gospel that has the power to save and and in that i think we can we will have um that's what i'm i'm preparing people for that's what i'm aiming for well
2: as as we close, I just, you, you said about our love for one another, you know, love God, love one another. That is the gospel. I mean, it's not the gospel, but it's the methodology almost, because he said, by yes, this yes. will all men know yes. yep. when you have love for one another. So yep. that is, it's not just to have a happy, clappy time and everybody feel good together, but it is, yes. it is the methodology of the gospel.
0: Yeah, yeah. Duane. Thank you so much. We've loved having you on. Really enjoyed the conversation. There's a bunch of other things that we could have gone into. Maybe we can do that another time. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, that. my
1: pleasure. It's been delightful. Absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you. Have some fish and chips for me. I love <laughs> fish and
0: chips. <laughs> we'll have to do that. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. Remember, if it inspired you, share it with others so we can see more people engaged in this community.